You are now listening to a Fit Plus Love production. I want everyone to know that the power that they hold in their life is extraordinary. That the power of their free will, of their choice, is something beyond any power that they could ever hope to gain in a gym or through financial acquisition or societal allegiances, right? This really is a gift, it's a tool, and it is essential for your alignment and your harmony and your balance and your peace. And it's essential for navigating the ups and downs of life, for you to recognize your free will, your gift of choice as a superpower and to develop it by recognizing when you chose to do something and it didn't make you feel good and you can make a choice to never do it again. That was Erica Hallwell. This is Marnie Salop. Thanks for tuning into my podcast, Marnie on the Move. Each week, I will be inviting interesting, innovative movers and shakers to join me on the show and share their story. You will discover and hear from thought leaders, experts, influencers, and entrepreneurs from the worlds of wellness, sports, beauty, fitness, fashion, and more. Marnie on the Move will feature an eclectic mix of people I know, work with, and think are generally doing cool things. On each episode, I sync up with my guests about life, career, and training, and showcase their expertise and story. Hello, welcome, and welcome back to the Marnie on the Move podcast. I'm your host, Marnie Salop. I am so excited to connect you with today's guest, Erica Hallweil. Erica is one of my favorite people and a highly respected teacher and student in the global yogaverse. I have been practicing yoga with her for years, and during the pandemic, she was one of the first teachers to get on Zoom and start teaching. Her classes helped me get back to my yoga practice and helped me mentally persevere through those challenging months and years. I will be forever grateful. Erica has been teaching yoga for 25 years and practicing since 1993. After practicing and exploring several styles of asana and integrating that into her teaching, her relentless curiosity and longing eventually led her to the practice of Ashtanga yoga. Today, she uses the system of sequencing of modern Ashtanga yoga but many of her classes are now a blend of everything she has studied over the past 28 years. I highly recommend practicing with her in person, if you can, or on Zoom, as she teaches classes for all levels of yoga practitioners and is just such an awesome teacher. Today, Erica joined me on the podcast to shed light on her newest venture, the Life Glow Project a multifaceted destination for all things uplifting, including group yoga classes, private instruction and guidance, yoga retreats, meditation, breath work, and pranayama. And she joined me to talk about her exciting new workshop launching in January 2023 called Radiance, Return to the Essence of You. And it is just such perfect timing for her to offer this eight-week immersive 
course, which we talk about on the podcast. When we first hopped on to chat, we were talking about the weather and the temperature, which moved into climate change and global warming. But like any conversation or class you have with Erica, there is always a deeper and broader meaning. And by the end, you have a totally new perspective and feel inspired by the light she sheds on whatever it is the topic she's talking about. I know I always do. In addition to a deep dive into her classes, practice, and upcoming workshop, Erica shares where her yoga journey began, how it has ebbed and flowed over the years. She shares why being in alignment with the universe is so important and how feeling is our superpower, is our superpower. We cover a few yoga-inspired topics. We also cover a few yoga-inspired topics and so much more. It is a super fun and inspiring conversation. Born and raised in New York City, now living with her family out on Long Island, Erica is truly one of the few people I know who I can say is successfully living a yogic lifestyle and has managed to weave the principles and practices of yoga into a modern day life. If you're interested in practicing with Erica or signing up for the Radiance Workshop, go to thelifeglowproject.com and follow Erica Hallweil on Instagram. More details in the show notes. Before we dive in, shout out to our sponsors at Inside Tracker. Inside Tracker is the ultra personalized nutrition platform that analyzes your blood, DNA, and lifestyle to help you optimize your body from the inside out. It transforms your body's data into meaningful insights and a customized action plan of the science-backed nutrition recommendations you need to optimize your health. Get 20% off today at insidetracker.com slash Marnie on the move or use our code cheers Marnie. Now on to my conversation with Erica. We all have a lot of problems. I'm like hot and cold at the same time. Hot and cold. That's a whole other story, right? That. Oh no, I'm not feeling that yet. I mean, it's just like the nature of my house. Like, oh really? Cold, but like my armpits are hot. Like, yeah. It's hot. <laughs> it's interesting because it's actually like today in New York, it's hot outside. I mean, not hot. It's like 60 degrees and it's, it's really hot. for hot December. Out. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Don't get me started on global warming and climate change because that is a very sad topic. And well, we can talk about it off camera or whatever, but yeah. I watched a really interesting show about the most recent ice age and all the cataclysmic events and very bizarre climate shifts that were happening, many of which were similar, more extreme than yeah. what we're experiencing now, but similar. And then Nilu, my daughter, looked at me. Because they do a lot of like climate change propaganda at school. It's uh-huh. not like they're encouraging the children to think for themselves. They're like, this is what it is. And this is the problem. And this is what needs to be changed. And I'm not a fan of that, especially when it's doomsday stuff, because it just pushes one agenda and then we're closed off. We're not thinking right. innovatively anymore. Right. And so um, Nilu looked at me. And she was like, that's funny. You know, those are a lot of the things that they talk about now with climate change. But where are all the cars that are causing the problem? And where are all the animals that are causing the problem? And I was like, wow, Nilu, like that's 
nuts because you're right. Sometimes the planet really just does have cycles. And in a weird way, you wonder almost if it's not super egoistic of us to think that we're responsible for everything that the earth is going through. That's interesting. You know, and maybe it is just, maybe the earth is trying to shake us off. Like that's not so great, but like maybe, maybe the earth does this when it's like what's happening on the earth is not vibing with the earth. And it like, but what she said, it was just so innocent and so thought provoking. And sometimes with agendas, when people decide there's an agenda and they market it and they sell it, Mm -hmm. it closes us off to thinking anything else could possibly be the way. You know, November 7th, it was 70 degrees on like, when has that happened in like, and, and like, what are we, I don't know. I mean, it's like, it's hitting home. Like it was for a long time, it was like this idea and this concept and people who were scientists and explorers and advocates were deeply immersed in it trying to tell us but now we're seeing it like in the United States like in yeah so I think sometimes I really think of the earth as a body and like we're bodies you know we were just talking a second ago about like one part of you being hot another part of being cold you were like oh just wait or whatever yeah and it's like if you're having a hot flash that's a symptom of a dysregulation, a hormonal dysregulation. Right, right. So if the earth is having hot flashes, if the earth is having ice caps melting, if the earth is having, because of what humanity does, a demineralization right. of the soil, let's say, instead of thinking of it as like, like stamping climate change on it and then X, Y, and Z, let's look like we would with human health. Where are the Earth's detoxification pathways clogged? And what can we do as individuals to clear those pathways? Because when the human detoxification pathways are clogged and the system can get rid of waste and the system can receive fresh nutrition, health, health is the result. So maybe we need to focus not on measuring carbon, but on cleaning the waterways and cleaning the airways and feeding the soil, not with nitrogen fertilizers, but feeding the soil with the the biodiversity that is supposed to exist in the soil and the minerals that are supposed to exist in the soil by planting things just to be, you know, um, plowed back into the soil, nourishing, feeding the soil. So the earth has its ways. You know, I heard something that the, um, the, the forests of plant life at the bottom of the ocean mm-hmm. are actually, aside from being much, much, much larger than all of the rainforests of the planet, are much more responsible for the oxygen that we breathe. And what do we do to those ocean floors? We drag heavy nets and just scrape them in an attempt to catch fish. Right. Way too many fish to sell cheap on the market. So I do think that there is a role that humans and modern business and modern society plays in the destruction of the planet's natural capacity to sustain its health and vitality, the same way that we do things to destroy our own capacity to sustain our health and vitality, staying up too late, eating processed foods, you know, I mean, so... I'm not like global warming. I'm more like the earth is sick the way people are sick. 
And what can we, you know, what can we do to heal, to heal the earth's capacity to heal itself? Like, where are we contributing to the detoxifying or I'm sorry, the toxification? Where are we contributing to the toxifying of the earth's ways of breathing? The earth's way of cleansing. You know, I'm always like, am I allowed to curse on here? Like I always Unless you call bullshit. I do. I call bullshit on That's why I've been training with you as a yoga instructor for like 20 years. I love it. No so, bullshit with Erica. I call I call bullshit on saying you love the planet mm-hmm. and then and then focusing on things that can only be measured in a lab. You know, so, someone that loves the planet is someone that does a beach cleanup. Right. You know, someone that loves the planet is and it's not, by the way, the plastics. I mean, you have to see seaspiracy. Like there's a lot of agendas that are being pushed that aren't really the problems. And sometimes, you know, we do the clickbait. We love the headline. We get all up on our soapbox and it's like, no more straws. Like really the plastic straws were the, that's, that's the issue with no, plastics. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I really like that sort of perspective on it because it gives it a, a better context for people to understand is like it's not just like something that's like so far away from you in the sense that it's like climate change. Whereas like if you look at it from the perspective of the health of the earth and mother nature and it's the earth is sick and, you know, when people get sick, we do things to take care of ourselves and we don't just label it and then do something else. I think it's a really relatable idea and concept. Yeah, I like it. I am so psyched to have you on the Marnie on the Move podcast today, Erica. This has been something I've wanted to do from day one, and I'm just so glad that you are coming out of your comfort zone to be on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I apologize. It has taken me so many years to receive your invitation and response. One of my favorite things that you do in your yoga classes that you've been doing all through the pandemic is you pull a card and kind of talk about that card from different decks, whether it's tarot, an archetype deck, this one by Kim Kranz that I love, or the spirit animal deck that I also love by Kim Kranz because the pictures are very beautiful. And you kind of talk about that card and how it relates to the practice that day or just general in your life and I think it's a really fun exercise. So I thought it'd be cool if we could pick a card from one of these. Yeah, I just, just want to say that I don't always do that in class, but I think that, you know, when, when the whole lockdown experience began and I went uh, digital, virtual very early on and people uh, really had such a direct and um, overwhelming experience of uncertainty yeah. and waiting in between. And if that's not something that you regularly practice, uh, it can be very dysregulating. And so I think that the pulling of the cards came out of that need to remind people that they're never alone, yeah. that there is support all around them all the time if they're willing to open up and receive it. And the cards that we chose that for years were so apropos, were so aligned with what 
was happening in the message of the day. It was, it was really, you know, I erased all of those classes. I didn't keep a, a Zoom library. Okay. They were so special. They really were so special. And I'm happy that you got the cards and I can't wait to see what the universe has for us. Yeah, right I mean, I have been, so sometimes on business calls, I'll like, I have some clients that, and people I work with that are into this kind of stuff. So we'll pull a card before we even have our meeting and just talk about it. It's, and I just read what it says. Like, I'm not really psychic. Yeah. Well, you know, you know but, she writes beautiful things and then yeah. it maybe it excites a, a thought in you and then you can riff. All right, cool. So which deck do you want to do since you're the guest? Um, let's you? do, um, why don't we do the archetype okay. by book? All right, cool. All right, here we go. I'm opening up the archetype deck. And Give I, it a little shuffle. I will. I will. This is always fun. So in case you're watching this, it's really beautiful. If you hear loud noises, it's me dropping everything on the floor. <laughs> okay. So I'm taking the deck out. I'm going to shuffle the cards. I'm sure Erica does not need a book. Or do you no, I like what she said. I think okay. what she said was so beautiful. And like I mentioned just a moment before, it usually inspires a whole other set of, of thoughts and feelings. Oh, I can't. What are you feeling? I, Where? I, I wouldn't even know how to begin to describe which card to pick. <laughs> so you're just going to have to right. feel it. Grab one. All right. I've got one. I'm just picking it from the middle of the deck. I have no, I'm not, there's no secret here. Okay. The bardo. Oh, my. I don't even know what a bardo is. Oh, good. You feel those skulls around there? Oh, I love skulls. Okay. That's like the land of Kali. Let's see if she writes about Kali Ma. Okay. Let's get it up over here. The bardo. Hmm. I haven't used this deck in a while. That's all right. Okay. You can, edit all, you can edit all of this out. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not going to edit this out. Uh, this okay. is fun. Okay, now I might actually need my glasses. So. Get it going. All right. Oh, you know what? What? I can read it. Oh, you I okay, great. So I realize I have the same book, The Bardo. The, Bardo. the Liminal, The In-Between, The Transition. Because this takes me back to those classes if I read it. It is said that the bardo is a, is a place between this life and the next, a liminal realm through which souls pass. Envisioning this inherently mysterious space creates the potential for us to rise above the concerns of this world and see our relationships through a cosmic and timeless lens. We may receive messages from those who are no longer with us, or see visions of lives not yet lived. In the bardo, there is potential to forgive the unforgivable, to say the unsaid, to see the unseen, to love the unloved, to let go of all the, all the things that cause us pain. The bardo suspends us in its spaciousness for just long enough to open us to higher wisdom. Its energy does not belong to earth as we know it, but rather to the cosmic network of which we are a single thread. And, you know, she these amazing all around, but I'm not, that's enough. That no, enough. that's good. I mean, we are coming to the close of 2022. It's 
good time to be in that cosmic zone, right? It's always a good time to be in the in-between. I think many of our ailments come from the fact that no one welcomes in-between space. They just schedule and schedule and schedule and overwhelm. And even if they plan to do something restful, it's scheduled in, which gives it a sense of um, no space for, for itself, no space of its own, right? So even the in-between has space on either side where you enter and you exit. I used to say that all yoga practice was just an exploration of the in-between, in between the inhale and the exhale, in between the postures, you know, in between the thoughts. It, this in-between space is, is ripe. You know, we have in-betweens in our body, the thresholds of the body. The throat is in between the heart and the mind. The pelvic floor, the root chakra is in between the body and the earth, the crown of the head, the body and the cosmos. And there are deities that rest at each of those places. And these are very special, sacred places because they're in between, because there's more potential there. There's more possibility. That's a great point. And I think a lot of people have been, you know, during the pandemic, we kind of had to slow down and we didn't really have a lot of options. And then we've been all operating at a very fast pace over the past year to get back to work. And it may be challenging for some people. I know it's been a lot for me, even going to some conferences and then, you know, taking some time to stop and just like observe and be in that sort of like in between space, like in between moving forward at full speed and just totally stopping and just kind of observing what's happening around you. And now is a great time to do that, especially after Thanksgiving. And we're going to have two weeks in between the end of the year and the new year. So I think that's a, it's a pretty awesome card. Yes, it's an amazing card. And uh, you said now is a great time to do that. I always like to remind people now is the only time, the only time that actually exists. With that said, so you have this amazing workshop that you're launching. Speaking of taking time and getting back to yourself and being in between, I know it's not about being in between, but it is about kind of taking care of yourself starting up yeah. in January. So tell me about Radiance and return to the essence of you. Yeah, so it's funny because Radiance is actually, this Radiance course is actually born out of another launch that happened simultaneously. And I was stuck in an in-between space for a very long time. I should say I was resting in an in-between space until I received the experience and wisdom that I was supposed to receive until it came to an end. And so that was actually trying to redesign and relaunch my website in a way that better represented me and was more uh, interactive. Because, I mean, if you've ever taken my class, you know that I'll bring just about anything, anything that happens in life into the practice space, whether it's in the form of a story or a movie reference or a piece of literature or a play or an experience I had walking in the park or something my dad once told me. Because yoga was never meant to be, these yoga practices were never meant to be separate from life. In fact, it was a, it was a gift. It was a gift. Stories tell us it was a gift from Shiva to help us handle the dramas of life, right? They just, there was so much suffering as people had forgotten what their essence was, their divine yeah. essence. Instead of relating to that, abiding in that, 
we were being tossed about on the sea of experience. Instead of floating on the sea of consciousness, we were being like tossed all over the place between attachments and aversions and opinions and conditioned experience. Okay. So I really always felt that it was great to bring into yoga practice every bit of life experience that we could all relate to, that we could all share. Right. And so it's through that power of integration that things stick. So instead of seeing your yoga practice as something separate from your other self-care practices or seeing diet as something separate from self-care, you know, this sort of compartmentalizing of everything. So I wanted to bring it all together in a living digital platform, an evolving and expansive digital platform. And what is it that we're trying to do through all of this is we're really just trying to bring out, to embody the brightest, clearest, highest, most powerful and integrity-filled version of ourselves. Right. Each of us, a unique manifestation of that, your unique light, right? your unique life force, let's say, or how the life force manifests through Marnie, through Erica, through everyone. And we need everyone right now more than ever. We need everyone to come to this relationship with self. So uh, after many web developers and in the end just doing it on my own, because it seems that's what you have to do if you want to not modify it, you have to to trust your instinct and not what the people are telling you will work or not work. And so I gave birth to the Life Glow Project, which is my new website where you'll see all of my classes and offerings. And at the same time, my baby had a baby. I had a baby and my baby had a baby. (laughs) My baby's baby baby was my first course. So it's an an eight-week opportunity for profound transformation it's the exact transformation I was just talking about and that we were just talking about it's the remedy for the go 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 right it opportunity to help you replace ineffective coping mechanisms with life-sustaining habits like that's like if I had to like whittle it down right using ancient techniques and modern wisdom to guide you through your own unique version of integrating what works into your life so that you can create space and clarity and joy and ease instead of having that be a destination. I go to the yoga studio, I unroll my mat, I have 45 minutes to an hour and a half of that. And then I race back to work and I lose it as soon as I open the door. Right, and I think people have been... You know, I think people need this now. And I think that that is something that, you know, people who practice yoga, I think that depending on where you are in your practice, I think everybody wants that. Like they have this amazing feeling when they're in yoga, whatever their yoga is. And then they come back and it's like they return to the office. And how do you bring the experience and the lessons that you learn from yoga back into your everyday life? And how, why are they separate? And it's the same thing with, you know, it's with yoga. It's also with everything that you do, like that you love, like athletics, like you go out for a run, you go for a swim. A lot of my listeners are triathletes. A lot of them practice yoga, but, or it should be the goal, right? To bring it all together, have it not be separate. I think the issue that you're starting to talk about, which I think is a very interesting phenomenon, is that 
we're stuck in this pattern of doing. Mm -hmm. So we don't really have a problem when it comes to action. People are actually really inspired to take action, fresh starts, jump starts, resets, clean out my closet, like, or buy, like buying more things, buying more supplements, buying more biohacking tools. We don't have a problem with the doing and the acting. The issue arises in that we have a receiving problem. Right. right. Even just slowing down enough to be in the moment is not a luxury that anyone affords themselves. Even if the moment they're slowing down for is a moment of slowing down, right. like going in the infrared sauna. How many people are just on their phone in the infrared sauna or going for a walk in nature? You know, or do they have to also listen to a podcast as they go for a walk in nature? So there's all this doing, doing, doing. And Really, so much of this course and so much of what I've been talking about in my classes lately is encouraging people to make the time to receive and to figure out what what is the blockage to that? What is the strong arm? I can't tell you the number of people who I will encourage them just to, to lay down and take 10 breaths and they and they're crossing their leg and uncrossing their leg and wrapping their arms and unwrapping their arms and they're inhale nose exhale mat they don't you know and they keep asking questions what kind of breaths tell me more blah. and these are the same people who buy every book on breathing mm-hmm. you know they listen to every podcast yeah, on breathing, breathing yeah. and accumulate all of the scientifically measured wisdom and why on breathing and yet have never given themselves the opportunity to actually experience a breath. And then when they try and there's resistance or even an inability at first, they buy another book on breathing and read a whole other book on breathing. And it's, I always say, imagine if when we were teaching a child to walk after the first stumble, if they just sat on the, the ground forevermore and were like, you know what? This walking thing is not for me. I just fell down once and that's it. Like, that's all I've got in me. Somebody bring me a scooter, you know? And, and it's, it's a shame to think that we need to have that kind of patience to remind ourselves how to breathe in a conscious way. Because the thing with breathing is you're doing it unconsciously. You're doing it involuntarily. Your body is providing you with enough oxygen to not pass out all the time. That's the kind of living that we're doing. We're doing bare minimum just to not pass out. And if the breath is the vehicle through which we experience everything, is that how you want to experience everything at the bare minimum? Or do you want, or, you know, just at that level of the amount of oxygen we're giving, You know, you're looking at the sunset with just that much life force. You know, you're you're hugging your partner with just that much life force. You know, you're you're listening to that music, you're dancing, you're whatever it is. And the point is, if we can create a way to open up and receive and to receive yoga in its fullness, not in this compartmentalized, you know, asana here and and morning routine, yeah. yeah, morning routine there. And, you know, all these things that have gotten popular, they're all within the realm of the yogic arts and sciences. Dinacharya is the Sanskrit word for daily routine. 
And it's a routine that aligns you with the energy of the outside world during the season of your geography in the time of your life, at the time of the day. I mean, it's like, it's broken down, broken down, broken down. But again, you need to give yourself an opportunity to really receive. And then on the tail end, how did it actually make you feel? Sometimes we love something. I'm going to use the kale salad. I think it's better. I think making fun of kale is funny. Because I grew up in Manhattan when kale was just a decorative plant in the, the planters of Park Avenue. Yeah. We were like, what is that? That's kale. It was decorative. Yeah. Anyway, I do love kale. I love it sauteed. And I love a well-massaged, finely chopped kale salad. So just a note for your listeners Um, when you have these kale salads, when you're making them, you must do something to make the kale more digestible. So first chopping it, a fine chop is great. And then a sprinkle of salt and then, um, lemon or, or oil, and then literally get your hands in and massage it. And you will see the kale change color and texture in just a matter of moments. And what you've actually seen is the bridge between kale is good for me and my body can extract what is good for me in the kale. What about about putting it in a smoothie? Does it have the same effect? Like into chopping it up? I guess the um, mastication of the the, um, motorized blade of the blender should do something. To, to, to make it easier to digest. Yeah, because yeah, it's, it's hard Definitely. to eat when it's not cooked. Yeah. But in that smoothie, yeah. if you put a little bit of citrus or something with vitamin C, you will extract even more of the nutrition oh, out of the kale. Okay. But, so my, but my point is the kale salad is actually a really great example of something that you read was good for you, heard was good for you, think is good for you, and then you just shove it into yourself any which way. And then maybe it causes bloating or indigestion, or maybe it just made you grumpy. Maybe it wasn't really for you, but in this massaging and in this chopping and this preparing of the kale, we turn something into what we know or what we believe into something that we do in a way that is nourishing. Right. Instead of just forcing, oh, I'm supposed to wake up at 4 a.m. to do my yoga practice. That's the only time. Well, most people, when they do that, they didn't prepare the night before. Mm -hmm. It doesn't fit in with their responsibilities in the day. So, yeah, they get their yoga practice done by 5, 5.30, but they're in a bad mood. They're grumpy. This is called a niyamagraha. It's something that you're excessively grasping. Yeah. Because you didn't give yourself the opportunity to ask, how did it make me feel? So it's like so it's friend- important to bring to all the things you do to bring like an awareness and an intention and also to like appreciate that and to like think about it, not just do it. And to not just think about it, but to, to feel it, right? To so feel thinking it. happens in the brain and what breathing does is it allows us to feel and then as soon as you name the feeling, watch out, the thinking is going to come, okay? Right. right. <laughs> thinking is it a good feeling, is it a bad feeling, I don't want to feel that, I should have felt some other way. So you just want to keep breathing. That's why yoga is a breath-based conscious movement practice. People say, 
oh, you're not supposed to feel in yoga. Like, Erica, you always tell us, like, feel. I said, no, I tell you not to react to what you're feeling. Right. You want to feel. Feeling is your superpower. Deep feeling is information beyond measure. You don't want to diminish it. You don't want to tarnish it with the label of thought. And then you get to choose a side. And then you get to measure up. We don't want any of that. But please never, never discount your feeling. Never miss an opportunity to feel deeply. Yeah, that's amazing. All right, shout out to our partners, Revitin. Revitin is my go-to when it comes to toothpaste and oral health. I have been using it for years. Revitin is a prebiotic toothpaste that is an all-natural, vitamin and mineral-rich formulation that gently cleanses, whitens teeth, and freshens breath while helping to restore gums and reduce harmful plaque. It's free of SLS, synthetic detergents, or additives, and contains no harsh chemicals, fluoride, artificial colors, sweeteners, or dyes. Created by biologic dentist Dr. Jerry Curatola years ago when he recognized the need for a new and effective oral care product that could support sustainable health within the mouth. Revitin fosters a balanced oral environment with beneficial microorganisms that optimize nutrient absorption and act as the body's first line of defense. The oral microbiome is the gateway to optimal full body health. So make sure you take care of it with a great toothpaste that does not have fluoride or harmful chemicals. Get started now with Revitin Prebiotic Toothpaste. Use our code MARNIE15 at Revitin.com to jumpstart your health. That's M-A-R-N-I-1515 at Revitin, R-E-V-I-T-I-N dot com. Now, back to our conversation. Back to Radiance and your course. So how are you going to be helping people to feel more connected to themselves? What are some of the things that they're going to be doing and how does it work? There will be some physical asana. There will be some movement practices. There will be some pranayama practices, but there will be a tremendous amount of grounding techniques, visualization techniques, um, lymphatic activation techniques, um, and really guiding people toward the different ways that they can build morning routine, midday routine, and evening or nighttime routine. And then there are also little resets that you can do at any time to flip the switch on a mood or a feeling that is draining, right? So these are all built in to some recorded content and then twice weekly, 30 to 45 minute practice sessions that will start with a guided meditation to put us all in a receptive state. And then I will introduce a topic or a practice. And then every other week, there will be a Q&A where people can say, okay, so I did that blah, 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 blah before, before bed. And it actually kept me up. I thought it was supposed to make me fall asleep. Very rare, very unlikely, but just to give a tangible example that people can, can grasp. Because the truth is, you're all individuals. So it's possible you did that 
too close to your bedtime. It's possible you need to apply oil when you do that. It's possible you need to do that in the mid-afternoon. And so that Q&A, alternate week Q&A, is an opportunity to hear about other people's experiences and to fine tune the techniques. You know, there are certain things you would do when you were sick, if you were, you know, recovering from an illness and other things you would do, you wouldn't do if you were recovering from an illness. And then I have three guest speakers. I have my uh, delightful friend, Britta, who is um, an exceptional woman and she will be guiding people in some really profound grounding techniques and practices. I have a, a new friend, Katie Grossman, who is an Ayurvedic practitioner specializing in Marma. Marma are the sacred points of the body in Ayurveda. These are portals or gateways. Yeah, very, very interesting because this is the idea. Sometimes you have to pay for information, but once you integrate the information and embody it through experience and experimentation, then it becomes a free tool. Then it's free, right? Like education, you invest, and then now you have this as the new baseline. So this course is an investment in receiving this information that is free. You don't have to pay someone else to do it once you know how. These are tools that you can use on yourself to feel. It's not about feeling better in the moment. It's about returning to yourself at your most nectarous essence because that's what makes us feel good when we're done with our yoga practice is that our relationship to the programming and the conditioning has gotten a little bit translucent. It's not so rigid. It's not so harsh. So we can start to see and feel and perceive ourselves, experience ourselves at what we are when, when everything else has left, right? I always quote Ramana Maharshi, let what comes, come. Let what goes, go and see what remains. I mean, that's, this is our journey. And so my, and so just to get back to it, and my third speaker is a beautiful woman named Julie Siviello Polier. She is like a shamanic facialist who does face reading and techniques to release through facial massage, trapped emotion from various times of our lives, like emotion trapped from our 20s, from our 30s, from our 40s. It's so cool. These women are so cool. I'm pretty cool. I feel like, (laughs) I feel like what makes, what makes people cool is their passion for their purpose, is their enthusiasm, is their commitment to learning forever. And then not hoarding that information, then sharing it and inspiring others to take it and integrate it and make it their own. Like, I always say to my, I have two daughters and I always say to my older daughter, because sometimes I'll say, how do you feel? And she'll say, I don't know. And I say, if you don't know, no one will. If you can't answer the question, how do I feel? Or how did that make me feel? Or what kind of residue did that leave? You will forever be an enigma to yourself and to the entire world. And we need the opposite of that right now. We need everyone understanding how they feel and not an intellectual feeling 
Like you're not, it's not a sob story. I'm not asking you for your sob story. I'm like, what is your pulsation? Like, what is your frequency? What is your resonance? What do you want most out of this life? And if your answer is anything other than to vibrate in alignment with the harmony and balance of this beautiful universe, then your happiness will be finite, you know? I think like, what, what do I want out of life? Like, I just want to have fun and like feel good. But why? Okay, great. So you want to have fun. Why is that? How does having fun make you feel? Makes me feel great. I like an adventure. I like to try new things. So would you say it makes you feel alive? It makes me feel alive. Yes. It makes me feel alive. makes me feel happy. And what does feeling alive feel like? Like flying. You know, like I'm just going to keep scratching the surface and scratching the surface because what you'll eventually get to when you take it to the, to its essence is it's boundless, expansive energy full of potential. And that's what, harmony with the natural flow of the universe feels like that's what we are so if you go at our essence we are that boundless expansive potential okay right you start as this human body you break it down to organ systems you break it down to organs you break it down to tissues you break it down to cells then within the cells you have cell organelles Inside of that, maybe you just have chemical compounds. Inside of that, you have elements. Inside the elements, you have atoms. But we've learned atoms are what? Energy and empty space. So no matter what you say your answer is, you whittle it down, you get to the feeling, you get to the feeling. The feeling is that. The feeling is the expression of you in this moment is boundless and expansive. In the world of yoga, we say it is Satchitananda, pure, absolute consciousness, awareness, and bliss. Space, ease, joy. That is your essence. Yeah, that's beautiful. You are, this is amazing. I love that you're launching this program at this time in 2023 as we start the new year. And I feel like we're not over this pandemic, but at least we've kind of acclimated in a way to the new whatever the new is and so I think we all need to kind of hit rewind so let's hit rewind with you too how did you get into yoga I had the very good fortune of being introduced to yoga by the mother of a friend of mine my best friend at the time Uh, I was 14 or 15 and she had a private yoga instructor that came to her house And it was really a hodgepodge. Now, looking back at it now, it was a bit of many different forms of yoga because I feel like yoga was maybe a little bit less segmented and separated according to style then Mm -hmm. because it really was just about having, exploring and appreciating and having different experiences in your your body, right? As a way to scratch the surface and see, you know, what what remains. I mean, and yoga back then was like very kind of woo-woo and out there, right? Yeah, yeah. So I lived I lived in Manhattan, so it was it was something you could find, but it definitely wasn't mainstream. And uh, a couple years later, I was wandering in the East Village and thought I was entering a East-West bookstore, but it turned out that it was a yoga school and I was totally culted into staying 
for my first class. I was in jean shorts and a tank top and I stayed for like two or three classes back to back to back and then left. But because I lived uptown and this was downtown, I didn't really, it didn't become a regular staple. Uh, I was an athlete, so I had a lot of um, physical obligation around my school and didn't have a lot of free time. But every couple of weekends I would go and, and check it out. And then uh, really started practicing almost daily uh, around the age of 17. And then when I went to college, there was a, there were like a, a small collection of, of other people like me who had sort of found yoga and we would practice together. And some of them would have like bootlegged cassettes of their class that they would go to at home and you couldn't even like hear the instructor or anything. Yeah. And we would practice by those. And um, it's funny to think about that now. It is, right? And then, uh, and then during one break, I came back from school and the studio where I had been practicing was having their first ever teacher training because teacher trainings were also kind of new. And um, this was in 97, and the training was going to start in 90, 1998. The owner of the studio was gifting this training to five students because he needed teachers. Right. And we all had to apply and I was chosen. And it was a very intensive program. Uh, it was an 18 month long program with another six months of what we what we lovingly referred to as uh, indentured servitude to the right. studio. You the Dharma part you of your practice. <laughs> Yeah. You taught for free, you cleaned the bathrooms, you served tea to visiting guests, you know, this sort of thing. But I actually started teaching before the program ended. I really, I really um, took a shine to it. And so whenever a sub was needed, the teacher, the head of the studio would, would ask me to sub. And it was really, it was amazing. Um, but the one thing I would like to add to that story is of the five of us, only three people received their certification because that's the way it was then. You didn't just get a certificate because you paid for the course. Right. You got a certificate to teach when and if you were actually ready to teach. Right. And that's changed so much since then in the 20 plus years since then. So I just wanted to, you know, put that out there the way you wouldn't get your diploma if you didn't do your schoolwork, you wouldn't get your diploma at the end of the school this is this is a type of school too and I, I really wish it would be taken a little bit more seriously like it used to well I think you know and you touched upon this it's like yoga has changed and shifted and ebbed and flowed and moved away from spirituality in mainstream practice and has gone through so many things in the past I started practicing in my mid-20s and I after about two years got into Ashtanga and then I practiced with Eddie and then I also met you because I was practicing at Shala and I think I I don't know if I met you at Shala or if I met you out east in the Hamptons with Colleen at Yoga Shanti but then I started coming to your classes at Tapavana my husband my husband's studio so Tapavana yeah no I'm all, I'm happy to go on record it's like a broken record for people who know me yeah uh, I have never ever wanted to own a yoga studio and I think it might have something to do with what I observed behind the scenes during the time of my teacher training I just wanted to be free to practice and explore these practices 
and share them. And it's funny because ever since I went virtual, now I own a yoga studio. (laughs) Well, and I think, you know, I think that as like you have always been, like as long as I've known you, like you're really just about the yoga and the spiritual, like all of what yoga is, not just like the literal asanas, but that makes sense that you wouldn't want to open your own studio. But like, yes, like during the pandemic, you started offering the Zoom classes, which was amazing, by the way, because I don't think that, first of all, it helped me get back to my practice, which was basically non-existent because I was so focused on triathlon. And also it was like the skies opening up because you probably have heard this from a lot of people, but it was an amazing help to get through the pandemic, even though it was on Zoom and it wasn't in person. It was just like really, I mean, I was there like I think every Monday or every Friday, whichever one I kept alternating. But I think it was amazing and you were really early to the game to to do that. So I think if you didn't want to start a business, you definitely started one during the pandemic. (laughs) Yeah, a student of mine, a student of mine in the corporate world got on the phone with me. I think it was March 11th. And she said, I want to tell you about this software called Zoom that we use to do, uh, you know, intercontinental meetings. And uh, I was like, you know, thanks. She said, oh, no, no, I'm going to stay on the phone with you until you create a Zoom account. And uh, and then uh, you're going to teach your first Zoom class tomorrow. And it was really like the actual day that the world decided to uh, shut down. So I was really early, early in on it. And it was beautiful because I saw people from all of my years of teaching all over again in in one space. And it was really uplifting. And I think very, very helpful for people to have that sense of community. And uh, I called it sacred togetherness. Yeah. I mean, it was amazing. Honestly, I have to say, I mean, it was so cool that you were like no other yoga teacher was doing Zoom that I knew at that moment and I was like go Erica because it was like the opposite of everything that I had known I was like yes finally Erica is teaching on zoom (laughs) so and and what about your own practice I mean you have been practicing a long time as well so is your has your own practice changed over the years Totally, totally. I mean, like I said, I came to yoga as a teenager, a very physically active teenager, very competitive, very athletic. And I actually, right off the bat, loved the intense physicality of yoga that was completely, especially at that time, devoid of competitiveness. Like you were too busy doing what you were doing to look around or compare. Nobody had yoga clothes. Everybody had the same crappy mat. Like, you know, I would practice in scrubs and a tank top, you know, and, and I think that it really afforded us like a a beautiful golden age to just be involved in our own exploration. But back then, I mean, there was, there was definitely the Iyengar Institute Mm -hmm. and you heard a bit about Ashtanga at that time. But for the most part, it was this free-form, ever-evolving vinyasa. That was really what was happening in New York City when I was really getting involved in practice. And there would be some kundalini exercises thrown in. It was all interwoven, some integral yoga stuff. Like, it was all interwoven. And so I used to pride myself on never having taught the same class twice. I would spontaneously improvise all of my sequences and 
try to sustain the best and most even breath count that I could. I used to play, in my opinion, amazing music. Yeah. I would, yeah. you know, read poetry, all that you can imagine, you know, as a 20-year-old, 21, 22, 23, 24, right. right? So then life got a little bit challenging and there was no one teaching like that anymore. Yoga was really getting a little bit more uh, specialized. And if you, it got to the place where if you were studying with a teacher, like if you did a teacher training with a teacher, sometimes you would come out of that teacher training as a Xerox copy of that teacher. So the individual voice that was so apparent in every manifestation, I mean, like you take a place like Jivamukti in the late 90s and the early 2000s, they were all teaching Jivamukti yoga. Jivamukti was, you know, trademarked their type of yoga. It has to have these tenants in class, whatever. But each teacher was unique in the way that they shared it. And so when the yoga teacher trainings, I think maybe because they got shorter, I'm not sure. So all of a sudden, teachers were shying away from their own voice and were adopting their version of a more senior voice. And I think that I didn't necessarily enjoy that. And that's when I found Ashtanga yoga, which I had previously poo-pooed because someone that I held in very high regard talked smack about it during a time when I was very impressionable. They judged Ashtanga practitioners uh, as being um, excessively disciplined and loveless and rigid and militant and that the practice was nothing like life because it was the same thing again and again and again. And that really stuck for a long time. And I had the opportunity to practice with some great Ashtanga teachers and did not receive the teaching because of the conditioning, because of the judgment, because of the what have you. And then life got um, confusing and overwhelming and I just couldn't handle anyone's chatter, like the, the incessant chatter, the music, the poetry. I wanted none of it. This is my time to breathe. And somebody said, oh, well, maybe you should, you know, think about, <laughs> think about returning to Ashtanga. And, uh, and I was like, oh, I've done that before. Like, that's not for me or whatever. But again, it's just about if you're, if you're willing to receive it. Because right. that's all, that's really all any yoga practice is. It's learning how to receive atta. Atta is the first word of the yoga sutras. Atta means now. So yoga is the study and exploration and experience of being in the now. And so now was the time. Now was the time for me to embrace this practice that I had previously rejected. And then like any, anyone new to anything, I became a bit of a zealot yeah. and very, very strict and stern uh, because I felt so strongly about the power of the recipe to transform. I feel strongly about the power of the recipe. And I really like the asana and the philosophy practice behind Ashtanga. I like it because when it's like the alphabet. That's how I feel. You know, and you do the asanas, but you don't have to think about the asanas. Like you're thinking about breathing. The focus is breathing. At least that's for me. You know, every now and then I get a little bit focused on the right positioning for me that I'm not going to get. Or you like look at that TV. You look at that TV in your room sometimes. Yeah. Or 
or there's a dog coming in, but no, but so, so you got really into like that. It healed me, you know, it healed me. And in many ways it created a blank canvas, a reset, because prior to that, my practice and my being had gone through so many different teachers and so many different opinions about alignment and so many different opinions about sequencing and everyone just trying to put their stake in their, the ground about practice. And my body was in, in pain and the taking the structure and the supports of the ashtanga, the, the modern ashtanga practice, right? What we've come to know it, uh, really did heal me. It, it healed me. It put me back together. It put me back together in such a way that eventually I was able to soften, to soften away from the rigidity because in the end, I don't want anyone to say a name with yoga. It's yoga. It's not Iyengar yoga or Kundalini yoga or Ashtanga yoga. Yoga is yoga. And as soon as we put a name, as soon as we think up a label and we stamp a label on it, then we can start playing that game. That's for me. That's not for me. That's good. That's bad. That's for young people. That's for boys. That's for, you know, whatever nonsense. And the truth is just, just receive it in the moment. And you can, you can make a choice to do something else, but the medicine is in the now. Yeah. And really the postures are arbitrary. They are. So I've sort of returned. I do teach two weekly classes, a half primary and a full primary, traditional count, traditional sequencing, beautiful metronome. Uh, and, and then my other classes are a beautiful blend of what I used to do with what I've done for the past 15 years, right? So the first 10 years and the past 15 years together. And I think that that's, that's the way moving forward is to incorporate what you've learned and to redefine how you share it. And you've really added to your teaching and your practice beyond literal yoga, asana, and philosophy. You've also, you know, have a degree in nutrition. You've studied astrology and, and Ayurvedic practices. So maybe talk to me about how and when you added that into your sort of teaching and how it kind of all flows now and comes together. Yeah, so I have um, a degree uh, in nutrition from NYU and I did a tremendous amount of work toward my master's. I went to a bunch of different schools, right? I went to Wesleyan then I moved to Paris and lived in Paris. And when I came back, I went back to Wesleyan, but didn't feel like finishing it there. So then I went up to Columbia and I thought I was gonna be a linguist but I wanted to study verbal and nonverbal communication. I was pleading my case to the, to the various boards because I had already been teaching yoga and practicing yoga. And I was like, no, I want to study communication through the energetic field. I want to study, you know, body language. I want to study like all the, as well as languages. I loved languages. And and when they didn't like take the bait, they were making me do all this extra work up there. And then in the end, they were like, no, you're going to do Noam Chomsky and it's going to be like we say. So I left Columbia and I went down to NYU and switched, switched over to nutritional sciences, completed my undergrad and then did some graduate work and again, hit, hit a block with them because in order to complete your graduate degree, you had to spend time in a hospital. 
and uh, and be like like intern like an RD in a hospital. And I couldn't do it. I spent one day at St. Vincent's where they were serving moldy cold cuts to oh. cancer patients and starving morbidly obese people. And I could not abide by that. So I pled my case. Could I do my internship at a birthing center? And then I could also teach prenatal yoga to, <laughs> to the women at the birthing center. And so they, you know, after trying to finagle my way there, I also hit a roadblock. So took my nutrition practice from there at a time when no one really wanted to feel better or learn any more about food. It was all calipers and skinny jeans. So uh, I started a practice called Sustainable Wellness. This was in 2002, and it was yoga practice and sustainable nutrition. You know, nutrition that was good for the environment, sustained the wellness of the environment, and also was something you could sustain effortlessly in your life. Because I felt like that's what yoga was doing anyway. The nutrition practice didn't really take off. No one wanted to go with me to the farmer's market. Right. No one wanted to learn when early. food was in season. I was a little too early. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> so I focused, I focused just on my yoga sharing, sharing my yoga. But at that same time, I was learning reflexology. I was learning about astrology. I wouldn't say that I have any real knowledge of astrology other than it turns out it's an act, act like it's actually a science, like yeah. it's measuring degrees and, and, and navigating the, the course of humanity through the stars. I mean, it's pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, but I think what people don't realize is they think astrology is predicting something and it's more, if you're out of alignment with the universe, you will be tossed and turned by the inevitable waves of life. Right. But if you're, Minding your business, that's an important thing to mind your business and doing what you feel, not what you know keeps you in alignment, but what you feel keeps you in alignment. So you're not doing anything in an obligatory way, right? You're doing it because you've assessed a feeling and then you're responding to that feeling with either support, right? Nourishment or something to encourage a transformation. That's one way or the other. Right? right. You're never condemning a feeling or rejecting a feeling. It's a good feeling. You feed it. Yeah. Right. It's a, it's a more challenging feeling. You support it and you transmute it. And I think what astrology shows us is these are the potential challenges that are available. It's like, it's like a smorgasbord. It's like a, a buffet. Here are the, here are the, here's what's here happening the in the planets. And this is science. And here's how you can react or respond or yeah. go with the flow. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and then Ayurveda, I mean, I've done some workshops and stuff, but I wouldn't say I'm, I, you know, I, I'm, I am a lifelong student. Yeah. I have studied just about everything and I love it. And if there weren't so many movie quotes and song lyrics in my head, like <laughs> I have a great memory for, 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 for facts, for data. So there's a lot, there's a lot in there. And there's a there's so much room for more. I just love learning, but I do always want to remind everyone that information is actually a perfect example of more might be might create a, a state of clutter and indecision. 
you know, this accumulation of information with how quickly it's moving nowadays, instead of giving you what you had hoped to learn or what you need to know to improve how you feel, it fills you with far too many choices. Yeah. And since we live on a planet of free will, having too many choices challenges our ability to make an effective choice. Yeah, so you need to make study. the right decisions. Yeah, just rewind for a sec. You studied in Mysore also. Yeah. Where did you connect with Ayurveda? When did that happen? Ayurveda was part of my first teacher training. Okay. There were sister doctors from India, from Kerala, and they did a four-month module within the teacher training. So my introduction to Ayurveda was there. Okay. Uh, I have studied with uh, Dr. Laud in New Mexico. I have a dear friend, Kyle Roberts, who is a Ayurvedic that uh, my husband met in Mysore in 2008, I think. And so um, Kyle will regularly come up here yeah. and do consults. And I learn more every time I speak to him. And of course, I've read books and things like that. But again, like, of course, to become a specialist is one thing. Yeah. But Ayurveda is part of yoga. Right. It's not separate. So if you're studying yoga, you're studying Sanskrit. Yeah. You're studying the culture and context of the practice and the beauty of the Vedic world. You're studying chanting. You're studying both Vedic chanting and bhajans. You know, you're studying breath work. You're studying cleansing rituals. You're a whole life experience. Yeah. How did you meet your husband since you guys both are in similar industries? Yeah. Corey, Corey has the timeline better than me. Okay. Uh, he remembers our first meeting. I don't. Although I do remember when he tells the story, I remember I was wearing a purple Jeeva Mukti tank top. It must have been like, I don't know, like 1999 or something. And I was at the health food store in Sag Harbor getting a juice and maybe it was 2000 maybe it was 2000 and he says that he saw me and he had just started getting into yoga and he saw I was wearing a yoga shirt and he came up to me and started talking about yoga and that I said oh well you can take my class and I told him what I taught and I walked away I don't remember this meeting <laughs> Or something like he really tells it better. I might be. Yeah, but we're going to have him on the podcast separately because he's got okay. a pretty cool Ayurvedic practice around food and catering and all that stuff. He, so, so he, yeah. So you mentioned it earlier. He started the Tapovana Healing Center. And again, it was to prevent yoga in its fullest expression. It was always, he was always talking about the role of food, the role of ritual, puja, uh, seasonal cleansing. And then since he had an actual brick and mortar, when the pandemic shut everything down, he was like, I don't want to teach on the computer. And so he focused on his food offering. So it's South Indian Ayurvedic food that, in my opinion, turns directly into consciousness. You eat this food. It is so perfectly balanced and so lovingly prepared and it energizes and enlivens and it's really remarkable I'll let him tell it but I do like to say it's hilarious that my Irish Italian Roman Catholic husband born and raised in Long Island is like 
the finest South Indian chef I know, <laughs> including with the people I, I ate with in South India, the places I went in South India. That's amazing. That's so funny. So you guys both have this yogic lifestyle. It's not even like separate from what you do. This is your life. You are practicing, you are eating, your nutrition, like everything. And then you have two kids who, yes. two daughters who are adorable yes. and go to school and you live out on Long Island, how do you bring this philosophy and your approach that you've been studying and learning all your lives to your kids and to everyday life when not everybody else is living this way? Like, how do you kind of, I know you were talking in the beginning about not making it separate. And so I understand that you guys don't do that, but how do you integrate into what everybody else is doing? Or maybe you don't. The girls, you know, people always say like, do you, do your girls practice yoga? And what they mean is, do they unroll a mat and do the shapes? Okay. Sometimes they did more when they were younger, when they were mimicking what they saw us doing. But uh, the girls do have daily breathing practices. We actually, is very helpful for them. I should actually email Eddie and, and let him know that the girls use the breathing app, the app that Eddie Stern created oh, to wow. guide people either through a visual or through a uh, sound support and audit an auditory experience of keeping the breath at a ratio that helps to downregulate the sympathetic nervous system and upregulate the parasympathetic. So it puts us back in this space of receptivity because that's really what that is. That's why whatever you hear at the end of a yoga class, you're always like, oh, that is so profound. It's not. It's just your receptive you're, you're not thinking yeah. of what's best. You're with it and you're, and you're letting it penetrate. So for the girls, I think more important at this moment in their lives than forcing yoga asana is keeping them in that receptive state through short breathing sessions, five-minute breathing sessions, and they do a shorter ratio than we would do as larger people to keep them in a place where they can experience the world and respond instead of react. You know, a lot of children today are not experiencing the world. They're experiencing the AI version of the world. Right. You know, Krishnamurti wrote, I think it was published in 1932, although supposedly he never wrote anything. They were just talks. In Education and the Significance of Life, he said that we are living in a world of secondhand human beings, that people are just reading about someone else's experience or someone else's travels and, and incorporating it into their lives as if it were their own lived experience. Now they already have an opinion. So if they ever do go to that place or see that thing, they're not going fresh, open, and wide-eyed. They're going with prejudice already. They're going with programming, conditioning. So he wasn't even talking about walking around with uh, a societal programming device in your hand 24-7. Because as, as playful and as amazing as it is, it is nothing more than a tool for propaganda. Yeah. <laughs> you know, how you should look, how you should dress, how you should react, how he should react, how they should react. Right, how if a you teenager. Know, too a teenage daughter so that's yeah so but I I was pretty honest with my girls about how I don't think I would have managed very well if 
gossip didn't end at the end of the school day or if there were a permanent record of some place or thing that I did or didn't do. And in my very honest sharing with them, because that's that's the, the main thing that I try to do with my girls is be honest to a T. And sometimes it gets me in trouble with Corey because he thinks that I'm telling them things that are not age appropriate for them to hear. But I, but I want them to know that no topic is taboo and that they can come to me no matter what. And that can only be established, that trust can only be established if I am legitimately honest with them. If I feel like it's totally inappropriate, I'll say, ask me again in a year or two right. years. Oh, that's good. Yeah. No, but I'm pretty revealing with them. And somewhere in that sharing, they recognize that they didn't want the new, the new paradigm. They wanted to see if they could just be outside of this phone reality. And so my older daughter has a phone, but no apps, no social media of any kind. And she's 16. And my younger daughter is 11 and she doesn't have a phone yet. She has an iPad for trips to and from soccer practice to do her homework and to text a little bit with her friends. And then how do they feel? Like, how were they during the pandemic? I, I mean, I hate, I, I really, I, I resist sharing this, okay. but we loved it. Okay. We love okay. each other. You know what? And, it's okay. <laughs> and we, and the girls really rose to the occasion because I was working 16 hour days mm-hmm. and, you know, they were schooling from home and Corey's uh, space was closed down. So our kitchen was the Tapovana Ayurvedic kitchen. It was a, it could have been a very stressful and disorienting time, but it just felt like really special that we that we supported each other and that we had the kind of relationship we had going into it yeah that carried us through it I always say that you know uh, I've had a couple of traumatic things happen to me in my life and that I had already been steeped in these practices they were available and essential and effortless for me through these moments of extreme grief or confusion or frustration. And so very quickly, I could reemerge stronger, brighter, and clearer. It's much harder to, to, to scramble for new skills when you're feeling devastated or, or at your wits end. Yeah. So, you know, so that's, I think that that's also something that people can feel like I'm not, they'll say like, I'm not a yoga person. And I think what they mean is, they're not an asana person, right. you know, and, and, and so that's how we integrate yoga into our lives and with others, because it's not a, it's not a thing. It's yeah. a state of being, right? It's a way of life. It's like, it's a return. It's a return to your true nature. That's great that the girls can see you guys every day, living your lives, how you do it. And you're just like, you present them with the options and then they can, be involved as much as they want or not, but it seems like you are very lucky that they are. Well, when they come, when they come home with, with problems, you know, everyone has problems. The advice we're giving is not necessarily the advice that's normally given, you know, born out of the philosophy of Vedanta or an understanding, a working understanding of the yoga sutras and how the mind works what ego is. 
I always love hearing your thoughts and interpretations of the Yoga Sutras. One of my favorite Yoga Sutras of all time is the Yoga Sutra number two, Chitta Vritta Nirodaha. So what are some lessons that you've learned from practice and philosophy that really resonate for you that you find yourself using every day? Oh, wow, that's tough. It's, I wouldn't say that there's one thing that I keep going back to again and again. I recently took, um, I took a beautiful Vedic chanting course with a woman named Shantala. I think it's called, I'll have to check. I think it's called Veda Studies. It's her website. And she said something that was so beautiful. We were chanting the Gayatri mantra and she said something like committing to your life as an expression of your divinity. And I thought, and those might not be heretic, could be paraphrasing, because that's what the Gayatri is about. And that's really, that's really what it is. That's why we don't need to put a word before or after anything. Right. And that's why it's so essential that we get out of the mind because the thinking mind creates separation. There is no separation in the resonance of the heart and the light of the soul. The thinking mind is what keeps us separate from anything, separate from our true nature, separate to believing that you have even the spark of divinity within you, mm-hmm. separate from being okay with someone saying you don't agree, someone saying something that you don't agree with and not needing that to be an opportunity for disrespect. You can disagree with someone and it doesn't need to be an argument. You know, someone can like a different color and it doesn't mean anything else about them other than they're not liking the color you chose to like or the food you chose to like. And I think we're really at a place here where the separation is so profound and extreme that it's creating and fueling mental illness. I think having yoga and just all the yoga sutras and the teachings and philosophy of yoga is really helpful in like getting some perspective on all the things that are coming up now, especially like just trying to use that more um, and being open-minded. You quoted the second sutra of the yeah. first book. So when I say when I say mental illness, I just mean any dysfunction of the mind. When the mind is not dysfunctioning, we exist in Satchitananda. We exist in that pure absolute consciousness, radiance, awareness, bliss. So what you what you cited, Yoga Shitta Vritti Narodaha, what you cited was how we end the malfunction of the mind. So instead of the mind associating with the constant turning of the world, right? we stop that association. The turning doesn't stop. We stop aligning ourselves with the perversion. Someone, was, someone once told me that uh, the root of the word vritti, vrit, is the same root for the word pervert. Right. And what does a pervert do? Turns things around. So it's not only stopping your association with the constant turning of the mind or the unnecessary mental activity. It's also stopping your twisted way of seeing who and what you are 
and who and what the world is. Yes. So it's really, it really is the, it's such a powerful sutra. It really is. Yeah. I mean, I think for, for me, like always just having so much going on and, and being able to focus and kind of stop reacting to all the things going on around me and just focus on like what I'm doing and the task at hand. So that always kind of resonated with me. You know, the next thing I need to come to in my practice is meditation and breath work. And, you know, again, we started talking, we were talking about breathing as like a baseline of what you can do and how you can expand your breath work. What is some advice you have around meditation and how to get started? And listen, I know that's so basic to ask you, but like at the same time, you know, I think, I think you might have a very simple answer. (laughs) Yeah. Basic. It's not so basic at all. And You know, there are a couple ways to go about it. You know, I always say when you're starting something, you go for ease and convenience. You know, uh, if it's helpful for you to listen to a soft voice guiding you to a place of relaxation, relaxation is a wonderful precursor to meditation, right? If it's helpful for you to tether your mind on a mantra, like a mantra-based meditation, then use that sound, which is really protection for the mind against that whirling in the face of that whirling we were just talking about. I practice transcendental meditation. That is a mantra-based format for meditation. But the truth is that meditation really isn't something that you do. It's something that you receive. Got it. So you can set up all of these constructs And you should, and you should regularly, every single day, sit and listen, right? Sit and be with yourself honestly and just listen. Yeah. Whether you need to count your breaths at first or, um, you know, anyone can use the mantra so hum, so hum. You could think so on the inhale and hum on the exhale. Or you could think let on the inhale and go on the exhale, you know, um, that is a essential, that is essential to health and wellness, being able to sit and communicate, communicate with what is inside of you beyond the clutter of your mind, beyond the beating of your heart, beyond the longing of your whatever, right? Yeah. Your desires, your fears. So, yeah, my advice is to, to try all of the techniques available. Yeah. To see Not which my, one resonates. I, I, think, I think I know, for me, I think getting into it with, like, guided meditation would be helpful. And then yeah. sort of, like, at least that will set me into the habit of, like, sitting at a certain time and doing something. And then I think beyond that, I might be able to, like, solo and riff on like if I have the time built in as the habit, then I can, that's my goal for 2023. One of my goals. Well, you have to to make the time. That's a choice. That's a choice based goal. So you can choose to do it and then you're doing it. What are some of your intentions for 2023? No, I do. I have to say I tend not to make resolutions or 
questions or anything like that uh, because we create purpose daily. Yeah. Right? Like moment to moment, moment to moment, and we have to affirm and commit to it and we have to feed it through our actions every single day. Yeah. Like I, I really want everyone, I guess my intention would be to share this message. Okay. Yeah. I want everyone to know that the power that they hold in their life is extraordinary. That the power of their free will of their choice is something beyond any power that they could ever hope to gain in a gym or through financial acquisition or societal allegiances, right? This really is a gift. It's a tool and it is essential for your alignment and your harmony and your balance and your peace. And it's essential for navigating the ups and downs of life for you to recognize your free will, your gift of choice as a superpower and to develop it by recognizing when you chose to do something and it didn't make you feel good and you can make a choice to never do it again. That's so awesome. Thank you. And now let's have some quick fun. What's your favorite book? Uh, my favorite book, uh, Brave, Brave New World by Aldous Huxley. Favorite wellness product? Oh, oh come on. Just... Come on. All right, you um, can give me two. Okay, I love the infrared sauna, okay. I have to say. I love it, I love it. And maybe maybe like a dry brush or a gua sha. Do you have the higher dose infrared sauna blanket or you have an infrared sauna in your house? I had the first incarnation of their sauna blanket, but I just loved their saunas. It was really yeah. hard for me to vibe with it because it was nothing compared to their saunas. Yeah. No offense. Now I have the Therasage portable sauna. It like folds down and it opens up and you can sit in a chair inside of oh, it. Wow. And it's all low EMF red light therapy on the inside. And you can also sit totally in it like a little cocoon, but it's, it's small if I, when I have the space, I will invest in a beautiful infrared. Yeah. That's great. God willing. God willing. Yeah. And I love the dry brushing and then yoga retreat destination. You've done a lot of amazing yoga retreats and I apologize for not being on, on them, but I know you go to beautiful places and one of these days I'm going to come, but what do you have? What's your favorite destination and what do you have lined up for this year? If anything. I, you know, I just did the most beautiful retreat up in the Hudson Valley in November, just last full moon, actually. Oh, happy full moon. Okay. Um, and um, I, I've been so immersed in the website and the Radiance course that I haven't really been thinking. We went last year to a spa in Arizona called Sivana, mm -hmm. and we might go back there. It was great desert hiking and a really amazing hydrotherapy circuit in their like, spa room. So I got really into cold plunging in this user-friendly, convenient sort of way. Yeah. Um, and I always love a good tropical trip, although I, I'm really feeling pulled to the mountains. Mm. And um, I'm only thinking of places that I've never been, like Iceland or Austria, or um, there was this island that I heard about off the coast of Brazil called Fernando de Naronha. And I might be saying it wrong, but 
It looks like the Blue Lagoon. The only reason I have never done a trip there is because it takes about 20 hours to get there through different transports. There's no no vehicles allowed there. Like, no, like it's like three, it's like two planes and a drive and a ferry or something. Wow. Wow. Sounds like Shelter Island. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) A couple. It is Shelter Island. It is. No, that's really awesome. And what yeah. music? I mean, you always play. I don't know always, but in the classes I've taken, you sometimes put on music like while before class. So who? Before you- class, yeah, yeah. stop doing that. I should do that. Um, favorite music is hard to say. I mean, I love good to? dance, good dance music, uh, but like old school dance music. We, you know, this house. There's a lot of new wave in this house. Oh, really? Right now, it's all right now. It's all Christmas music. Um, we listen to a lot of jazz standards. <laughs> Um, yeah, I would say that there's a lot of Depeche Mode and the Smiths because the girls like it now. So they're, they're playing it. And, you know, Corey's an old club kid. So there's some classic house that we have going on. Like, no, any, like, EDM? No, older. Older, older. Like, Bob Sinclair? (laughs) I don't know. He'll talk okay. about it when he I'll talk about it. So, and so other girls into Taylor Swift or not really? No, but I'll do a lot of pop music. But yeah, Neelu likes Taylor Swift some. I don't know. Apparently she's like the number one artist on my playlist. <laughs> that and yeah. like Dead Mouse, the DJ. Uh, oh my gosh, so funny. And what about cuisine? What, do you have like a, obvi- yeah, do you have a cuisine that you're loving these days? Yeah, you know, a cuisine that I really miss, that's the one thing I miss since moving out of the city, is just access to all of the world cuisines. Yeah. I was really spoiled growing up to to eat food from so many different cultures and countries, you know, any, any day of the week. And I really do miss Korean mountain cuisine. It's a vegetarian-based cuisine that has... Uh, features many different, uh, they're called namul, many different vegetable side dishes all prepared like and you know like if you ever have something like the bimbimbap you know that's like a rice-based dish and it'll have tons of vegetables and maybe an egg some people get it with meat in it and it's just it really it satisfies all of the flavors in the mouth and I miss that I miss that food I really do love that food and then um I gotta say more and more as much as I love going out to eat and I do there is nothing quite like home cooked food. Yeah. And Corey cooks when he's at work and I cook at home and the family dinner table is very special to me and getting as many colors and flavors and textures in everyone's on everyone's plate is um is something that that I I take very seriously. I love all your food photos on Instagram. Those are always very inspiring. I usually turn it on like when I'm starving and then I'm like maybe I'll make an avocado salad with all these yummy things yes. inspired by Erica's Instagram. post it post it send it to me well, it won't look as good as yours but I will post it is everybody vegan or vegetarian in your house no I was um vegetarian and vegan both not quite naturally as a child until my second pregnancy so I was about uh I was 34 when Nilu was born and all of a sudden, for the first time in my life, meat started smelling good, looking good. Even I was allergic to milk as a child, so I never had any kind of cheese or dairy or anything. And I was craving eggs, like all these things. So 
when I was pregnant with Nilu, I started eating clams of all things, linguine with clam sauce every single night. And prior to that, I just thought clams were so disgusting, the smell, everything gross. And it turned out that I had been slowly becoming anemic and clams are higher than any other food in iron. And so there was a reason my body was craving the clams and I was able to bring my iron numbers back up yeah. and continue with my plan to have a home birth, which is what we did with Nilu. And that's a whole other podcast. I'd love to talk about yeah. my, my pregnancies and my births. Oh my God, they were uh, such a blessing. But so now I am a plant-based omnivore, but I, I eat just about everything in small quantities. Uh, and the girls follow my diet and I'll let Corey speak for himself. Okay. Awesome. That's great. Well, this has been so amazing, Erica. And I, I will definitely, it's been so great having you on the podcast. How do you feel? I feel great. I feel like I could talk to you forever. I really liked the beginning of the podcast where we were just like shooting the shit. Yeah. Um, but I'm happy I got to tell everyone about this beautiful course because I feel it's essential. I really do feel that it's time for people, even though it seems like it's something else that you're doing, mm -hmm. it's a doing container designed to help us stop doing and actually be with before, during, and after with what we're choosing, choosing to nourish and to care for ourselves. So I'm grateful for the opportunity to have spoken about that and all of that other stuff that we spoke about. Thanks again for tuning in to Marnie on the Move. If you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. Follow us on social at Marnie on the Move for Facebook and Instagram and Marnie Salop on Twitter. Head over to our website, MarnieOnTheMove.com for more info on this episode, links in the show notes, and of course, sign up for our quarterly newsletter, The Download, to get updates, deals, giveaways, and information on future events for 2019. I want to hear from you. Email me, MarnieOnTheMove1 at gmail.com. 